Cash Flow Diary Podcast, episode 489. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Cash Flow Diary Podcast, the podcast that teaches you insider tips, tactics, and strategies for creating leveraged streams of cash flow into your life. Learn from top-performing entrepreneurs, business owners, investors, and thought leaders from across the globe as they share their secrets to success. Like what you learn on this and other Cashflow Diary podcast episodes? Go to learninvestingnow.com and sign up to receive powerful tips and information that will help you succeed as an entrepreneur and investor. Now, here's your host, investor, entrepreneur, business owner, educator, speaker, author, and master facilitator of Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Game, Jay Massey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Massey, and I'm glad that you are here today because you have heard me say time and time again that you and I, we will never out-earn our personal growth. And I'm going to take a stab and say that today's guest would say the exact same thing. But more importantly, how can you intentionally make yourself grow? Because at the end of the day, if you're not going to out earn it and that's going to be the limiting factor, then, man, I want to have some control over that. I want to make that happen as fast as humanly possible. Interestingly, there are commonalities when it comes to to humans and helping humans grow and Today's guest is no secret to growing not only himself, but growing others, because that's exactly what he does. So let me ask you this question. If you had the desire to take your annual income and make that your monthly income, so doesn't matter what you're earning right now, but annually to monthly, what would be the path to make that happen? Who would you call? And many would say that you would call today's guest. I am talking, of course, none other than David Nagel. And what's interesting about David is that he and I were inspired by a very similar book, one that you can grab today, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. So we're going to dig in to finding out what it's going to take to make all of us a little bit bigger, better, and badder than we currently are today and the man who's going to help us do that is David Nagel. David, how you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing great, Jay. How are you? Good so far. Good so far. So, um, this being the first time that you're here, I have to ask you the same question that I tend to ask everybody else. You ready? All right. Yep. I tend to look at today's entrepreneurs a lot like yesterday's superheroes. You know, Batman, Robin, Superman, Wonder Woman, etc. And I, I and I think. Entrepreneurs and superheroes have a ton of things in common. For example, as an entrepreneur, occasionally I can imagine myself flying around town. Yes, maybe I am wearing a cape, but I'm using our products and services to save our customers. But at the same time, like a superhero, an entrepreneur has a beginning. You know, if you think about Spider-Man, for example, there was a time where he was just a kid going to school, doing his thing, taking some photos. And then one day he gets bit by a spider, discovers he's got a new superhuman ability and gets to choose whether to use it for good or for evil. So my question to you is as follows. Before, you know, your book, The Millions Within, before your your coaching and, and, and the, you know, the everything that people know you for today, before you became the David Nagel, what we want to know is, who is David Nagel? 
Uh, that's a really great question. Um, before I became the David Nagel, <laughs> my own my own version of a superhero, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. I love that analogy, by the way. Um, I was a person who was really confused about uh, the meaning of life and whether we were born victims or we actually had the power to control our own destiny. And that literally was a question that went through my mind as a child because I came from uh, a relative amount of dysfunction and I saw a lot of unhappy people. I was born in the mid-60s, so uh, through the, the media, I was aware of the turmoil that we were going through in our world, in our country, uh, in the state that I lived in, which was Illinois at the time. And I it, it caused a lot of questions that I was not, Jay, getting answers to. I mean, I would ask. Um, I was I was raised Catholic, so I went to uh, Catholic schools for a while. I asked priests, I asked nuns, I asked teachers, uh, family, and uh, nobody could answer the questions that I was asking. And there were some pretty deep questions, um, and they they just couldn't answer them. They I mean, not even it was even worse than that. I would say with not only could they not answer them, but they told me there were no answers to those questions. So it really left me perplexed, and I went down um, a road of survival. Uh, I kind of raised myself as a teenager in the streets of Chicago. I never got into any real serious trouble, but I was headed that way. And I I knew that there was something more, but I didn't know where, I really didn't know where to find it. So... If you ask me who was David Nagel, uh, a curious kid on the wrong path. That's where I was before I started changing. Love it. Got it. Now, you, you said something that I think there's a that, <laughs> that a lot of people are wondering about. Um, you, well, first, when you described yourself as confused, I can see that there's, a, there's definitely a lot of entrepreneurs who could feel that way, especially at the beginning of their journey, you know, uh, they wake up to the fact that, oh, my gosh, what I am doing, I don't like. However, um, I don't know what I want to go do. So uh, how, how did you ever elevate yourself from this particular state? You know, I can really relate to the whole idea of I don't like what I'm doing, but I don't know what to go do because that's exactly where I was. Uh, I, I quit school at 17, um, and just went to work I, because I really hated school. I disliked it, <laughs> um, which was interesting because I love learning and mm-hmm. I especially love learning now as an adult. Um, I'm a voracious reader and, and a student first before a teacher or a coach or a speaker and author or anything, anything like that. Um, but you know, the, to answer the question, as honestly as I can, I think that at some point in time, I decided to make it okay to follow the desires of my own heart, meaning that I knew that there were things in, in life that interested me. There were, there were certain things that I knew that I liked and disliked, and I started following the things that I actually liked, uh, which really put me in a different emotional state as a human being. And as my emotional state began to change, 
I also noticed, noticed um, that my results began to change in correlation with that change. So it brought about a, 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 a bit of consciousness, if you will, that caused me to say, hey, you know what? There's something to this and I need to find out what it is. So like I, I totally understand people being confused and stuck doing something that they don't like to do. Now, later on, Jay, I had a mentor that really clarified it for me when he said, we should do, we should spend our days doing what we love with people that we love. And from that moment on, I decided I was going to create a life that mirrored that idea. And I've, I've done that now, but it took a while to do it. Um, but I thought to myself, what a beautiful concept. Uh, do what you love with people that you love. Now, there's something that you said that I think is actually profound. You said that you decided to make it okay to follow your own heart. Why do we, as humans, feel like we need this permission? Well, I think because we're raised with the idea that uh, we need permission. Um, it is ingrained in us, you know, from babies all the way through school were indoctrinated with somebody else approving of either who we are, what we do, the results that we're getting to advance us in life. And that advancement is directly linked to the subconscious security that every person needs, especially as a child. So, you know, when we're born, the number one thing that we need is, is security. Otherwise we die. We we're, uh, the human species um, needs uh, parental guidance longer than any other species on the planet. So subconsciously, we're wired for the idea of security, and we, you know, we're constantly being told what to do, what not to do. So I think that when uh, when a person gets to a point, well, let me back up for a second. I, what I think is that a parent is supposed to, if we're being raised in a healthy way by a conscious parent, the idea is that gradually over time as that child is growing uh, from child to teenage to young adult, that the power of making a, a person's own decisions is turned over to them. Learning how to take care of themselves and provide their own security is turned over to them. When that does not happen, if you're raised in a dysfunctional family, a lot of times you've got children taking care of adults, there's no sense of security there. So um, we're, always, we're always looking for somebody else that knows more than us because we're not really building a healthy self-esteem or self-image that is confident in the decisions that we're making. And we live in a world that is, you know, it's, there's so much conflicting information bombarding us today, it's hard to know what's true and what's real and what isn't. So if a person doesn't have a really solid core set of values and truths to guide them through their life, they're kind of left in a confused state and they're always asking other people, what do you think? What do you think? Well, most people don't think. We know that, <laughs> right? So um, it, we need something. We need something to guide us. But then we have to learn to get to a place where we can trust our own knowledge, our own instincts, our own confidence, our own intuition, and start making decisions for ourselves. I'm laughing, one, because she said, 
well, people don't think, but two, because you're reminding me of a phrase that the way my mom would always put it. And I, and I quote, <clears throat> boy, use your own brain. And <laughs> uh, so I, I remember that phrase constantly. Um, and at the end of the day, that we, we don't have confidence in making our own decisions, uh, either because we've made bad decisions or we've never been given the opportunity to exercise doing that. So take us on this journey. Um, what led to to your awakening and figuring this out and, and making the changes that you have made? So, you know, in 1970, there was a significant event that took place in my family. I was um, uh, I was just turning five years old and my uncle died in a fire, my mother's brother and my two cousins. One was a year older than me. One was a year younger than me. And we basically that up to the first four or five years we had grown. We had grown up together. We were together all the time. When this when this tragedy happened, my family was not emotionally ready to deal with it. I don't know that any family is emotionally ready to deal with a, that kind of a tragedy. However, they also did not get the help that they needed um, to work through the, the the pain and the loss and the grief that goes with it. So the dysfunction that was already in place uh, compounded and, and began to get worse. That's what caused the question in my mind, which was, are people really meant to suffer? Uh, do we come from a loving God or do we come from a sadistic God that causes us to suffer? Or, or is it something that we don't understand? And that you, the question that you asked me earlier when I was asking a lot of other people in, a, in authority around me as a child, um, these questions, I was of the opinion that there was something that we didn't understand as, as human beings. Because you go to church, you hear you come from a loving God, and then you're out in the world and you find that it's pretty rough out there. Um, and, that there and that there's a lot of pain, suffering, and, and evil going on. And so, so this is a question that, that was in my mind all the time uh, as I was growing up. Now, it became more important as I became an adult and actually started experiencing the consequence of my own decisions as an adult would experience a consequence of their own decisions. I quit school, I got married uh, very young um, and started having children. And I, I was creating more responsibility than I had uh, the uh, emotional maturity, the psychological maturity, and any kind of education or skill set to be able to handle. So my life was progressively getting worse. I had a near-death experience that caused a significant shift in my thinking at 23, which led me to the realization that we're not invincible, that we are all going to die, of course, you know, when you're in your teens and your 20s, that's usually the last thing that's on your mind. Um, but this kind of brought a sense of urgency to my life, Jay. And even though I didn't know what I was going to do or what direction I was going to go, it made me think about it more, which kind of controlled my focus in that direction. When I was um, 
uh, uh, but also I had broke my back in this accident. I was water skiing, I got sucked through a dam, and I, I sustained some significant in- injuries, nothing that was permanent other than kind of like a chronic pain issue in my back. However, I went back to work on a dock driving a forklift. I was absolutely miserable. I was working six and a half days a week, and I could not crack $20,000 a year. That was where I was stuck. I was thinking at the time, if I could get to 40, my life would change. Like I would be able to pay all my bills. I I did not have the maturity at the time to realize that overspending is never going to allow you to pay all your bills because you'll always spend more than you're making. And that was a problem that I had. But I was thinking to myself, you know, the way out of this is, number one, I shouldn't have quit school because I would ask people, how do I get out of this situation? And their answer was, well, you shouldn't have done what you did. It's like, okay, well, that's great. How do I change it now? Because, (laughs) you know, I didn't have the time uh, because I worked six and a half days a week and I didn't have the money. There was no internet at the time. So it wasn't like you could take classes online. And I felt like I was really stuck. And this was going on for about a period of two years. One night, I was, it was in February, it was a Tuesday night, about two o'clock in the morning. I was on the dock, it was bitterly cold in Chicago. I was absolutely exhausted, I was emotionally exhausted. And I was on the forklift in a trailer, loading food into the trailer, and I just broke down crying. I was literally having just a meltdown. And I just, I, I asked God, please help me. What do I do? And a voice in my head, very clear, very audibly said, David, change your attitude. And it was, it wasn't like the normal kind of voice that we hear in our head. This really seemed like it was outside of me, but I know that it had to have come from inside of me. Um, But it was so stark and so clear that I paid attention to it. And I started exploring that idea. If I was to change my attitude, what would that look like? And I narrowed it down to three things. Um, I I hated what I did. I did not do a good job at what I was doing because I I really didn't care about the, the work that I was doing. And because I was angry at myself, I was not treating people well. So I decided I'm gonna act like I love what I do. I am gonna do every job to the very best of my ability, and I am going to treat everyone I come in contact with, no matter who they are, with respect, just out of being a human being. I changed those three things, and I and I had made a commitment that I was gonna to stick to that change for a year and saw, you know, kind of experience what would happen. In 30 days, my income went from 20,000 a year to 62,000 a year. <laughs> and. It, and Jay, at that time, I didn't even know anybody personally that was making $62,000 a year. It was so significant. Yeah. So significant to me that I knew it wasn't luck. I knew that I had done something. And even more than the amount of money that I was making, what I was really intrigued by was what I did. And I thought, you know, somebody must be speaking about it, writing about it, lecturing about it. Somebody must know what I did to make this change. I want to find out what I did so I could continue to make those kind of changes in my life. So that put me on a seven-year journey of studying, going to seminars. Uh, I turned my car into an audio library, you know, got rid of the music and 
you know, just it was filled with cassette tapes with books on tape and lectures on tape and seminars on tape and uh, Tony Robbins, personal power and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just began to study and learn. And uh, one thing led to another. And then I eventually started my own business, um, helping other people do it because I was giving people advice because they were watching me and they were watching all these things change in my life for the better. And they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I would tell them. And some of them would take the advice and they would change and some wouldn't. And, they, and of course, they wouldn't change. But I found that I really enjoyed it and I had a gift for it. And it allowed me to fulfill a promise that I made, which is very important to me. When I went through that dam, when I got sucked through the dam on the Illinois River uh, in September of 1989, on, when I came out of the other side of the dam, I went down the river a little bit and I was able to grab on a branch that was hanging from a tree. And when I was hanging from that branch, I said to God, if you let me live today, I'll find out why I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and then I'll spend the rest of my life helping other people do the same thing. And since then, I, I have kept that promise. It has been my life purpose and mission. Nice. I, 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 I've often heard the phrase, your attitude determined your altitude. And I would say that what you've just shared with us definitely mimics that for sure. Um, I am curious, though, what role did the book The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles play for you? All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and I'm glad that you are enjoying what you are hearing thus far. But here's one of the things that's really important. One of the most important things that you can do as get started. One of the things that I've said before, and I say again, once you get started, stay started. But more importantly, there can be lots of roadblocks to getting started. So what we're going to do is we're going to remove one of those roadblocks for you and make it a little bit easier. Because the thing that I don't want to stop you is thinking, do I need a local number? How about a long distance number? Or should it be 800? How on earth am I going to make that happen so that people can contact me as I'm out there building my business, making my cash flow grow? But most importantly, understanding that it doesn't have to be difficult. Many of you may know, but if you don't, there's a company out there by the name of Grasshopper. And what I want you to do is I want you to go over to trygrasshopper.com forward slash cash flow diary. Grasshopper is the entrepreneur's phone system. It works like a traditional phone system, but requires no hardware to purchase, no software to install. It's just the number that flat works. So if you are out there building that distributed workforce across many different locations, it's a way for you to still go out there and make your number be unified, simple, easy to use, something we've been using for quite some time. So again, go over to trygrasshopper.com forward slash cashflow diary. Now let's get back to the rest of the story. Ah, yeah. Great. Another great question. So, um, it's an interesting, interesting story. I was involved with my first kind of venture into being an entrepreneur, learning a little bit about business was to uh, join an MLM. So I was in multi-level marketing for a couple of years. And that book was kind of a staple uh, back in the 90s in multi-level marketing. And I would see it, you know, you would go out, you know, during the breaks at conventions or whatever, and they would have product tables and stuff. And I would see it. But I thought it was a book on economics or something, and that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> answers, it's true. It's true story. That's God's true. truth. 
So for two years, the books around me, I don't pick it up. One day somebody says to me, you need to read that book. Now, I was trying to put all these different pieces in, in that I was learning in my mind in some kind of logical order that made sense because I was getting bits and pieces from different people, like from Tony Robbins and um, you know maybe, maybe Jim Rohn and I, I forget Zig Ziglar, you know, and all the um, like Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, uh, Earl Nightingale, but it was not putting it in an order that made that really made sense to me. So I pick up this book, The Science of Getting Rich. I go home. Saturday afternoon, I sit on the couch, I'm going to read this book, and I, and I literally broke down in tears as I was reading it because it put everything in my mind in, an, in, a, in a very logical order that not only could I understand, but I knew in my heart was true. And I was like, this is it. This is the answer that I was looking for. So once, once I had that clarity, then things, they, they even started to speed up as far as, as how much better they were getting in my life. Uh, but that was because I removed the confusion and I had, I had clarity. So the, the book was very important. And then for the first four years that I, was, um, that I had started my business, I was teaching seminars based on that book, The Science of Getting Rich. You, you know, what's funny there, or at least ironic to me at this moment is um, th that book did not come to me until <laughs> well after the 90s. Uh, it, it was around 2007, 2008. And I find it interesting that, it, it, again, it's the same book. It's not like it changed or anything, but it, it had very similar effects. But specifically, you, the word that you chose was clarity. And I've often said that clarity leads to power, the power to decide and act. And then you, you say that once I got clarity, I was able to go faster with all of those things. I mean, if we're starting from confusion, would you say that what's missing for people like is 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 the crux of your business literally to help people get clear and then act on that clarity? It is. Yeah, it, very much so. It, it's clear based on universal truths and then and then the clarity to implement those in their life that in a nutshell that's exactly what i do and that's where like you said at the at the beginning of the program turning your annual income into a monthly income we help people go over seven figures uh from virtually you know a zero starting point um within 12 months and we do it all the time and we've done this with hundreds of people so it, but it is really about getting them very clear on a few different things and then, you know, teaching them the skills that go behind it and away they go. So, I mean, with today's technology, the, there is no shortage of information. Why is clarity so difficult to, to obtain or to even find? Like, why? how come it, it seems like, well, we should be able to be clear, but yet we're not? I think the reason for that is because because there's so much information, a lot of it is conflicting. Mm -hmm. And when a person when a person is growing up, they're raised with a certain set of beliefs and values. If the information that is going to allow them to succeed conflicts with that, we have what we call a value conflict, and the value conflict creates confusion. 
So even if, even if they understand something intellectually, it doesn't mean that they're processing it emotionally the way that it needs to be processed to show up in their behavior that would allow them to create the desires and the dreams that they want. So there, it, it, it creates an internal battle, Jay, constantly with people. Until that battle is cleared up, it's going to create confused results in their life. Yeah, I totally get it. Totally understood. So ta- to take us, if, if you will, through through the journey, I mean, you, you obviously you've gone through your own personal journey. But at what point do you go, you know what? I think I can help other people and I should turn this into a business. Where did that courage come from? Where did that thought come from? How did you make that transition? It really came from uh, wait, I, I started waking up at 220 in the morning. And then, and and I was I was this was happening every night, and I would wake up at two twenty in the morning and with a voice in my head that said, "If you want to live your dream, you have to leave." Now, I was in a bit of a confused state because I had a value conflict at this point in my life. I didn't know what it was telling me I had to leave. I was it leave my job? Was it leave my state? Was it leave my marriage? What, what was it that I was supposed to leave at this at this point? But I wasn't getting any I wasn't getting any answers. Now I was coaching with someone at this time, and I really wanted to see if I could figure this out on my own. About six months into it, I was not making any progress. I called my mentor, who was Bob Proctor. And uh, we had a uh, we had an agreement, and the agreement was that if he was going to work with me, I had to do exactly what he told me to do. Uh, I didn't have the ability to say no. I could I could ask why. I could get clarity on what the reasons were, but I had to do what he told me to do. So I had just come off the road with him uh, in one of his seminars, and I was in Chicago. He was in Toronto, and I called him. He said, "I'm I'm just getting on a plane." to go to New Orleans, if you need to talk to me, meet me in New Orleans. So all I had was a question. And here I am, I gotta get on a plane, fly to New Orleans, I wait around for him to get done speaking all day, meet him uh, backstage, and we have this conversation. And he said, what's the problem? And I said, the problem is I'm waking up at 2.20 every morning, and with this question, if you want, or with this statement, if you wanna live your dream, you have to leave. And he said, how long has this been going on? I said, six months. And he said, and you're waiting this long to ask me this question? And I said, yeah, I was trying to figure it out on my own. And he was like, well, how's that working for you? So <laughs> right, right, right. I said, well, I'm here. So, you know, and he said, the next words out of his mouth were just quit. And my response was very interesting because I said to you, I didn't know what it was I needed to leave. And he said, just quit. And I said, I can't. I have a mortgage. I have two car payments. I've got four children. Um, I've got a family, you know, a cat, dog, the, you know, the whole nine hours. <laughs> I can't just quit. I don't even know what I would do. He said, you don't need to know what you do until you quit. He said, the decision comes first. He says, Aren't, have you not been paying attention to what you've been learning, what I've been teaching? And um, he said, you know, you'll always get what you need when you need it. And I said, what do you mean? Now, I had never heard him say that before. He may have said it, and I just didn't hear it, but I had never <laughs> heard him say that before. And he said, you'll always get what you need when you need it. 
And uh, I said, explain that to me. And he said, are you starving? And I said, no. He said, do you know anybody who's starving? I said, no, I don't. He said, but you know that there's people in the world that are, right? And I said, yeah. He said, but you don't know them. And I, I didn't, I really did not know where he was going with this. And he explained to me that being completely broke and homeless and starving on the street was not part of my experience in any part of my life. So I would not subconsciously replay that pattern because it wasn't there. He said, you'll wash dishes if you have to. You're not, your family's not gonna starve. You're not gonna not pay your, your mortgage. And I, I, this was the first time I really questioned what he was telling me. I had a lot of doubt about this. So I went home mm-hmm. and I started thinking about, you'll always get what you need when you need it. And I started looking at all these different areas of my life where I had gotten myself into trouble but then at the last moment, whatever I needed showed up. Not always what you want, but what I needed. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that, it was an enormous breakthrough. And I realized, oh my goodness, this, I mean, this happens for everybody. This is really true. This, you know, that's a that's a real fact. That's when I made the decision to to leave my job. And what I did, Jay, was I really wanted to see. I I really thought to myself, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to go out there and teach this to people, I need to know 100% certain that I'm hearing spirit in my heart give me direction. So I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm doing this. So the only people that knew were my wife and the company that I left. Um, But I didn't, I honestly didn't know what I was going to do as far as a career went at that point. And it took 30 days. Uh, of me just waiting and then I got the offer to actually teach Bob's programs and he asked me to come in as a facilitator and start teaching his programs and that's how the career started so I went in I got trained how to teach his programs and then I started doing my own seminars I did that for a few years him and I started a company where uh, we did seminars together for a while and then after a period of time I decided it was time for me to go on my own and um, you know that's over 20 years now so uh, it was uh, that's maybe a long-winded answer but that's that's exactly how it happened well I, I think it's also perfect because oftentimes when I ask that question uh, an entrepreneur will go, just do it, uh, which can leave someone who's wrestling with this same decision confused. <laughs> and they're like, but I can't. Tell me more about how you got through the journey. And that's exactly what you just did. Uh, and I, I think that's really paramount to helping, I mean, people understand that you understand the transition period uh, because w- if, whether it's leaving a, a, a job like we're talking about or going from five to six or six to seven or seven to eight figures or whatever the number is, the process seems like it would be the same. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it really is. I think that it all starts with, number one, acknowledging the desire of your heart to be, do or have more, whatever that whatever that is. The, the conflict that comes in for a lot of people is that they're taught that that's irresponsible, um, that they actually have to accomplish certain things in their life before the, they can move ahead and do something else. I mean, I, you know, I heard people tell me, 
um, they, let's put it this way, they were not supportive of me going out and starting my own business once people found out that that's what I was going to do. They're like, why would you leave a perfectly good job? Why would you leave a career? Why would you leave health, health insurance, a 401k? And, uh, and, my, and my response was, because I, wanna, I really want to see if this is my purpose. And they would say, well, what if you're wrong? And I'd say, well, then I got to always go back and do what I was doing before. And they would be like, well, how do you know? So there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty in people's minds as far as the resilience uh, that we have as human beings because they never really do anything to step out there to be resilient to and and see what they're really actually capable of doing. But it does come down to just a, a, a certain set of ideals and principles and I believe understanding the, the laws of the universe uh, like Wallace describes them in The Science of Getting Rich and, and when you start to understand that from a practical uh, application where you're actually applying it in your life, it's not just an intellectual understanding, where you can really connect the result to the action and the thought, everything in your life changes. It, it gives you a freedom that you'll never get anywhere else because we're really made dependent upon um, education, we're made dependent upon working for someone else, but most people have no idea actually how to bring whatever amount of money they need for whatever it is they need it for into their life on demand. And I think that that's true wealth, not how much money you can store up in a bank, uh, but but the, the skill set and the awareness of how do I actually manifest, create money or any other resource um, as I as I needed in my life. Yeah, totally understood. Now, for those that have listened this far and want to find out more about what you've got going on and, and want to follow up with you further, what's going to be the best way for them to catch up with you? Uh, that would be go to our website, davidnagel.com. Last name is N as in Nancy, E-A-G-L-E, davidnagel.com. And we have a free gift for people called You Were Born to Be a Success, which is something I absolutely believe. Um, all they have to do is give us their email address and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll receive that electronically. Um, but I really believe that everybody is born to be a success. Nobody is born to suffer. Um, uh, people are capable of so much they just have no idea. But they get a little bit of information and they'll be headed down the right road. And that's what that that's what that program will do for them. Excellent. Now, as we wind down, I've got a question for you because I'm curious to hear your answer. Let's um, pretend for a moment that someone listening has gathered the courage. They're like, you know what? I, I, I get what David is saying. It makes sense to me. I can do this. Of course, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's all good. I'm ready to develop some resilience. And, and they're out of what I like to call the precipice of decision. And you could even envision it as they're standing in front of the superhero outfit store ready to pick out their cape. Now, you know, like I know, that when we reach those moments of decision, we are often, well accompanied with a companion and that companion comes in the form of a voice and that voice often reminds us of how it didn't work last time and why on earth is it going to work this time and you really you're not going to be able to and for some people they're related to that voice so my question to you is as follows let's pretend that this time it's going to be different they're going to follow 
through and they're going to follow through in the next 24 to 48 hours. What would you suggest that they do? The first thing is to change the concept of who they think that they are. So when we, when we hear that voice, uh, whether it's our own or somebody else's, that, that tells us about all the things that we didn't do right or didn't work in the past, that, co- that helps us form a concept um, that we're flawed, that it won't work, that we uh, make mistakes. And incidentally, one of the, I think one of the damaging things that happens to children is they're raised with the idea that a mistake is wrong. Um, they're shamed and guilted for it. And we actually learn by making mistakes. So if we also would embrace the idea that we're going to make mistakes, and if we learn from them, uh, we can advance rapidly, then we start to change the concept of who we are. We're creative beings. I believe that we're, 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 we're children of, of God. Um, however a person wants to view that in their life, whether they say it's energy or spirit or God or the universe, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that they're stepping into their purpose. So if they change that first concept of, of who they are, they really have that power. The second is to make a solid decision to take action on something, whatever it is that's in their awareness that is leading them to the next step. Maybe that's picking up a book. Maybe that's picking up the phone and asking someone for help. Um, Maybe that's stepping out and helping another individual, but making a decision to do something which creates momentum and opens the door for the next opportunity to make a decision. In Think and Grow Rich in the introduction, uh, Napoleon Hill has a little paragraph or he has a thing called the sly disguises of opportunity. And he said that opportunity usually shows up as misfortune or temporary defeat. And that's probably why so many people fail to recognize opportunity in their life. So if a person would just look at what is in their life and realize that anything that looks like it's um, unfortunate, misfortune, a temporary defeat, there's a law that comes into play there called the law of polarity, which states that the opposite of that also has to be true and exist in the same place at the same time. So anything that is unfortunate also has a gift. Anything that seems um, difficult or improbable actually has a solution and a way for it to happen. When we make a decision, Jay, we take our focus off of what it is that we don't want and we put it on what it what we do want. That begins to expand in our awareness. So now we see more of what that is and the, and the road becomes uh, more enlightened, if you will, meaning that we can see better, have more direction, will attract the people that we need to help us get there. And then it becomes a process of saying yes to the things that are going to continue to move us forward. Love it 100%. I definitely appreciate uh, the the practical knowledge, the ability to apply, you know, that which you not only uh, espouse and teach, but the fact that you've done it yourself is really, really important. And at the end of the day, uh, I just want to make sure that I say thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge, your wisdom, and your insight here with us today at The Cashflow Diary. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for you to move at the speed of instruction. What does that mean? That means you're going over to davidnagel.com. Why? Because now is the only time you and I have got. And if you were listening, you heard probably what is the most important thing. Mistakes are great. You're going to make them. Might as well go ahead and get started and learn from them because they carry with them that whole bit of opportunity. Well, there's no time like the present because it's all we've really got. And ladies and gentlemen, it's been fun talking to you today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time. 